Hey, welcome to the podcast. Tonight we have a uh, special panel episode. Uh, we're going to have uh, two other guests come in. We're going to have a topic. We're going to go around the uh, the screen and uh, share our views on it. Some of them are going to be uh, pretty, pretty amazing because I think we're pretty cool dudes. Uh, again, I'm Scott with the Sober Heathen Podcast. Uh, please check me out on YouTube, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. Uh, I'm here with Will. Will has a podcast. Will? My name is Will. I'm an alcoholic in recovery for three and a half years. I am the host of the Save vs. Poison community. It's a podcast, Twitch stream, and YouTube channel all dedicated to gaming, general geekery, and enduring sobriety in an ever-maddening society. Follow that up, John. All right. I'll do my best. I'm John. I am the host of the Sober Dad podcast, where we... Uh, talk about sobriety and parenting. I'm a stay-at-home dad of four young kids, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at SoberDadPod, and you can find my website at SoberDadPodcast at BuzzFeed, and yeah, take it away, Scott. Awesome. Uh, Dudes, I just want to say thank you so much for doing this. I mean, uh, you never know when a podcast is going to reach out and touch someone. I, the, the random DMS and emails that I get from doing these type of things is, is, I mean, it's, it's so enjoyable. It makes it worth it. And it's a lot of fun just to do it. So thank you guys for, for agreeing to do this with me. So what brought us together was uh, just a random tweet. I was in a mood, which I, I tend to get in moods uh, quite frequently here in recovery. And so I was expressing uh, some, negativity and my tweet goes as follows i really need to rethink and adjust the perception i have of folks in recovery i take the word as gold and believe their desire to help is as strong as mine the fact that they are not meeting this is my fault and not theirs so it kind of uh embraces the the thing that if you've been to any kind of meetings or treatment they talk about no expectations when you have expectations of people um, those expectations can turn into resentments and that was a resentment in tweet form because uh, what had happened was I have a uh, uh, a woman that I'd met in treatment. Um, she's going through all kinds of stuff right now. She's basically homeless. Uh, she's going back to jail for 30 days or so. And when she gets out, she has nowhere to go. And so I reached out to a bunch of people that, you know, are constantly saying, yeah, you know, just reach out. You know, we're here to help. We got your back. We'll do this. We'll do that. And I got radio silence from every single person that I reached out to. These were people that I were looking up to, that I was looking up to, you know, uh, I, I don't owe this person anything. I'm doing it because I care because I, I know what it's like to be homeless. And the last time I was homeless, it was only for about 48 hours. And I got my fourth OWI leaving in my truck. So mm-hmm. I can totally resonate with what she's looking at. And it's really hard to focus on recovery when you don't have a roof over your head. So I, I took it personally that they didn't reach out and, and, but that's on me. It's, they don't owe me anything and they don't owe this person anything. Um, but where I was going and, and what led to that was the disappointment of me reaching out and, 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 and getting nothing and not even like, ah, there's nothing I can do. So you guys had some comments. Uh, you know, what was your thoughts on that? Will? Uh, I tend to stick very, very closely to the idea that um, people in recovery kind of have to kind of have to tend their own gardens now that doesn't mean that we don't have enough manure to go and help fertilize other people's but for the most part all of the expectation management that i that i try to do these days has 
to do with the idea that my space and recovery has to come first. Anybody else's space and recovery is theirs and not necessarily theirs alone, but they need to be coming to other people to ask for that help that they need. Now, it sounds like um, this person that you were, that you wanted to help uh, was not able to reach out. Is that, is that accurate? Uh, jail is coming the next day. Yeah, and jail was coming the next day. Yeah. And then my, my understanding was that she had been reaching out. So, you know, and I, I took this uh, recovery coach certification training to try to find a position to be able to walk these paths with people, not, mm-hmm. not lead them, you know, like, uh, you know, some avenues of recovery, some people in recovery try to do to walk with them and, 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 and help it. So <clears throat> I was just kind of taking it as like a training program. You know what I mean? But sure. you're abs- but I, I totally get what you're saying. You, you got to till your own garden. I like that. Yeah. What, you, yeah. what do you think, John? So just to clarify, uh, when you were talking about offering help, uh, she didn't want the help or you were offering to help at uh, where she was going. Yeah, so she's in early recovery. Um, you know, I had a couple of relapses since treatment and, and trying to get through it. She is wanting out of the of the dark. You know, she's just looking to catch a break. <laughs> and so it was the people that um, that I have taken trainings from, the people that, uh, you know, are, are the ones, reach out. You got to reach out. You got to ask for help when you need something. You know, don't suffer in silence type of thing. And those were just the people that it, it fell on deaf ears. And it was mm-hmm. just... It was it was frustrating, and I and look, I I, I tweet in anger sometimes, and I totally realize that um, people aren't going to just drop what they're doing. And Will said it really well: these people are in recovery too, and that comes first. So, um, that's 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 where it came from, John. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So you know, same analogy, same analogy that Will was using about you know keeping your side of the street clean and <laughs> uh, the things like that. I mean. I definitely agree that when it comes to my sobriety, uh, I would put that first above someone else's, not saying that I would, you know, if there was a beer flying at me, I would grab Will and throw him in the way and hope it lands in his mouth. But I'm also just going to, you know, if I can't, I can't help other people if I'm not also tending my own sobriety and I'm not uh, working my program. And I do think that, uh, I guess I've seen it in the Twitter space, uh, as well. Like, I think a lot of it, there's, there is a degree of ego around there too, when it comes to, um, people not wanting to, I guess, put themselves out there or like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very confusing sometimes when you see someone post a very innocuous post and then either be it like an AA old timer or somebody else just come in there and try to like Bible thump them over the head or something like there's, there's ways to try to help that I guess aren't helping. I guess kind of weird. Like when they, they think, I think they think they're making a good point and then they're just making things worse or just making the person less likely to explore that Avenue of recovery. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but when I first started going to meetings and looking for help, you know, asking for help, you know, it was really hard for me to do that fear of rejection was overwhelming. And, you know, the last thing I want to do, you know, I don't know her really well. She's, I mean, the men and women in this treatment were separate. You know what I mean? I, I'll be honest, I didn't even remember her, but she remembered me and, and she reached out and we, we were talking back and forth a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I just don't, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to break my recovery to help somebody, but I, I when somebody reaches out, I, I want to at least, I don't know, you, you never know where they're at mentally. 
you know, one little, one little nudge, one little gift of kindness could be the difference. And, you know, if it's somebody that I know, and, you know, you're talking about old timers, I think you're referencing like the tough love, you know, suck it up, buttercup, pull up your pants, dust yourself off, get fucking back out there, you little bitch, you know, type of thing. They don't say that. I'm exaggerating, obviously, but some do. Some, some do. do. Some do. <laughs> some do. I and know I a couple. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just I, I just wanted, you know, to give her a little grace because I don't know her. So I have no right to say, you know, well, you should have not relapsed. You were on probation. You knew better. But who the fuck am I? Because I was on probation. I got OW on number four. So I'm not gonna like judge people for that. So I, I just I, I was just really frustrated. You know, I feel like this community is is so outstanding in so many ways. But I recognize that that my disease helps me highlight the shit, the little things, the, these little things. Like it is really a nothing burger that they didn't reach back. You know, if I really cared, I would have just kept looking for other places, right? But instead, I stopped to tweet and focus on the negative. And so that's where that's where I went wrong. But I guess the question that needs to be posed then: if you're going to put yourself out there as an avenue of help, what kind of responsibility do you do you have to maintain that? Well, it depends entirely on what type of help is asked for. Are we talking about a phone call? Yeah, I can take a phone call almost any time. Are you asking me to fly to Vermont because I have a community member out there sure. that might relapse? I can't do that. Yeah, I can't fly out to Vermont for, and these people are not strangers. These people are friends of mine. And, you know, they're part of a community that I've been building for the last, you know, year plus. Yeah. I can do something like take a phone call at odd hours of the night. But there's a, there, there are boundaries that, you know, you need to set in front of the places where you're willing to go to help somebody in recovery. Usually communicating, helping to, you know, talk somebody off a ledge. These are all things that are pretty easy for, for all of us to say that we're going to do and to be able to do. But the, so the, you know, follow-up question to that then is what type of help was being asked for? in this specific instance and was it something that you would do and if it wasn't why is it something that somebody else should be doing in your stead right does, that, was, does that make sense no absolutely absolutely okay. and, and in this particular example it was just looking for available housing whether it be okay. shelter whether it be a you know a place strictly for women Gotcha. Um, like a woman's woman's house or sober living she's looking for anything right now so okay. it, it wasn't like a monetary ask you know it, it was just i need a place to to rest my head so i can i don't have to worry about that mm -hmm. All okay right, that so, i mean yeah go ahead there's probably a list of there's probably a listing of of that kind of information that can be gotten pretty easily by most anybody that has internet access so i don't think that's a big i don't think that's a big ask if they're you know if she's looking for information on where she can go that's safe i don't think that's too difficult to, uh, an ask to 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 put out towards a greater community so yeah i don't think that's a that's something that's going to cross a boundary at least for me like if somebody asked me no. to do that you know i'd it's I got this and, lovely PC setup. I can take a look at. Yeah. Well, and it's it's a lot about who you know to get into some of these places. You know, sometimes sure. you, you you know somebody that that has an end. That's the whole point of a network, right? So sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, it just I don't know. I guess I'm not. I, 
I, I'm as guilty of it as anybody. I, I, I can't say they're not, but false advertising saying, you know, reach out anytime, call anytime. Don't say those words. You know, and, and again, you're absolutely right. If I call you up and say, hey, can I have a thousand dollars, man? I'm, I'm yeah. late on, on, on this, you know. You got to have your boundaries. Depends on what you're going to do for it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have an example of uh, that exact thing that happened on Twitter last week. Uh, it was uh, someone was asking for money for a bus fare or something like that to get to an AA meeting. And uh, no one was really responding or anything. And I didn't want to leave the guy hanging. So instead, because he sh they, they shared it like a screenshot of where the meeting was. So I just jumped on the old Google machine and found their inner group and gave them the phone number and said, if you call this number, I am sure that someone from AA will pick you up and take you to that meeting. And, you know, that's the last I heard of it. So yeah, things like that are doable for people, but uh, you know, it was only $3, but you know, I'm not going to Venmo somebody, uh, some rando on Twitter, any amount of money, let alone, you know, uh, it would be at three dollars or a thousand dollars just because you know you don't really know like i i'm sort of cynical that way i guess i like to be able to trust people but i mean it's twitter so i mean, it could have been a bot asking for three dollars for all i know because i don't you know I'm, I'm new to the community so i'm not exactly sure who this person is or you know how long they've uh been active i don't think that's cynicism i think that's a healthy boundary bro yeah well, I, go, I think then. you're i think you're fine to say i don't care if it's three or a thousand like giving money to a stranger, like over, over Twitter. Um, I don't know if I'm, if, if I'm going to condemn you for saying no to that on first blush, like, you know, if, if the three of us did this every week for the next year and one of you said, Hey, I need 50 bucks. I think I could probably muster that up, but there's a, there's a connection <laughs> that will have been made by that time. Right. But, you know, just sending $3 every time somebody on Twitter says, Hey, I need $3. That sounds like a really good uh, way to uh, uh, scam, you know, or get scammed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, speaking of scams, uh, my dad, uh, it's sort of a long story, but let's just say he has a drinking history, too. Um, he met, he called me yesterday talking about uh, being interested in actually attending AA, which I thought was super cool. Um, and he asked me, he's like, so uh, I called and they answered the phone and asked me for my social security number. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah. And they also told me that AA wasn't good for me and that I need to, it wasn't going to work for me. And that I need to go into treatment and they were trying to get like his insurance information. So then I asked him what he Googled. Turns out he went to alcoholicsanonymous.com, not <laughs> .org, which is the real one, by the way. Alcoholicsanonymous.org is the real one. Wow. Uh, he went he went to alcoholicsanonymous.com and it's a redirect to some recovery type page that's super sketchy that doesn't look anything like aa and yeah he just called the number on there and this dude was like trying to get all his info and stuff so you got to be looking mm -hmm. out for that kind of stuff too there's some like and i've heard i've heard stories like some recovery uh places like or some like um inpatient places can be pretty you know, pretty bonkers where they have like this weird like mill where they just like bring you in and then kick you out and then bring you back in. And I think a bunch of them got busted in Florida several years ago. Huh. But yeah, and there's there's always bad actors in every community, including this one, unfortunately. And sure. they're gonna try to take advantage of the people that they can. And it's just up to you know, up to everyone to have the yeah, you know, I guess the street smarts and 
the connections to know what's a scam and what's actually someone looking for help or trying to reach out and help. I think you uh, just gave me an idea for a podcast. There you <laughs> go. Call that number. That's what <laughs> I do. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I'll, I'll get Call it to you. I'll, I'll try to find it. Yeah, it's it's in my fun. it's in my dad's phone history. I'll be like, hey, text me that number that you that you called. I and honest then, to God thought you were going to say like, yeah, my dad said he was going to go to AA, but he actually just took me to a bar and tried to get me to drink again. That was a scam. <laughs> I, that's what I thought you were going to say, dude. Like, I was like, oh no, your dad's going to disappoint me the way he disappointed you, but it didn't turn out that way. And I'm happy to hear it. <laughs> yes, me too. No, he's uh, he's the number one podcast supporter. He's all about it. He likes to suggest that I, uh, he's like, oh, you should do this and this. And I'm like, all right, cool. Thanks. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. He, you should have him on as a guest. I'm thinking about, about it. Yeah, through. I think I'd well, be. I'm gonna. That's, sorry, that's sorry. the whole thing. No, yeah, go ahead, Will. Go ahead, Ryan. Oh, I I love the idea of having family members as guests. My first family member that's going to be a guest is going to come up. I think in another week, uh, I'm going to have my wife on, and I'm going to interview her about all of the shitty things that I did that nearly brought our marriage to an end. Oh my God! <laughs> I will awesome. race. I will race you to it because I had that conversation with my wife yesterday and she oh, said, did you? you write, yeah. And she said, you write down the questions and I'll come on the show. And I was like, <laughs> Oh shit. She like, I, I thought I'd have to take a little more convincing, but she's, she's down too. So yeah. <laughs> I like the idea of us uh, competing back and forth. Like I listen to yours and then I write my questions to be a little bit worse. And then the next week you write your questions to be a little bit worse. And we're all just spiraling towards the bottom of how badly we treated our spouses man this is this is happy stuff we're talking about right now it'll be sobriety jerry springer seriously (laughs) i can't wait i mean my ex-fiance uh she's she's coming on she she knows she wants to do it she's just uh working up the courage so i mean that'd be cool if in the next week we all uh produce that kind of storm huh yeah, my wife was super skeptical at first about the whole podcast thing, but then, you know, I made her the Mother's Day episode, so then that made it all made it all better. And now she's actually she listened to that episode, so she was kind of like, "Oh, okay." And she's a little more um a little more open to the idea of coming on the podcast now. Nice. Yeah, nice. I don't know. Getting back to it. Um I think it's really important that we take kind of a comprehensive view of people that are in recovery. People in recovery aren't angels. They can be amazing. They can be broken. They can be awful. They can be the sweetest human beings on earth. They can be exactly the same rainbow and textured, you know, uh, uh, pattern of humanity that, that is the greater body populace, right? Um, they're still people. And oftentimes because addiction comes not out of just like, Ooh, I like the way that beer tastes. Suddenly I'm drinking too much beer, but often from these places of deep trauma, uh, they're, you know, they, they get a, they, they start to get a handle on recovery and then they still have like a nice laundry list of things that they still need to work on underneath that. And oftentimes the amount of shit that people have on their plates in recovery is still so much that, trying to do more than take a phone call can be really, really difficult. I think. I agree. And I think that's why, you know, you're in AA a lot, but don't do make any big decisions or do anything drastic within the first year. Cause you do have a plate full of, of bullshit that you're trying to, well, that needs to be focused on first. You're absolutely right. And, yeah. and I, I don't want to make this sound like I was, I, I, I think people that are in, that have achieved quote unquote recovery or in recovery, owe anybody, anything. I, I think I agree 100. You don't owe anybody anything. You owe yourself to get yourself out of the shithole, 
in the shit storm that you've created for yourself. Um, I just, I, I think if, if, if you're going to put yourself out there though, you have to be careful because you're putting yourself out there and, and you could be that next letdown that leads to somebody else um, making a poor choice. And, and mm-hmm. again, you don't, <laughs> their choices aren't directly deflect, you know, affected to you. You don't make anybody put a needle in your arm. You don't make anybody pick up a bottle. That's not what I'm saying either. I'm just saying that don't put it out there until you're ready. That's I, I don't want people to sit here and think like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to AA and saying you, every, once you're in recovery, you got to 12 step the shit out of everybody. Uh, everybody yeah. that has a problem, go find them, seek them out and drag them into, in, into your thing or and force them through the steps or force them to do whatever. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. No. Got to stand outside the bar with your big book and just start, you know, preaching the, the word of building. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Can I, can I, preaching? yeah. Can you, <laughs> you mind if I take a moment to tell you about my personal savior, Bill W.? Yeah, have you heard the good news? Have you heard the good news? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna start dressing like a Mormon and going house to house. So relocated, I'll go with you. <laughs> uh I'm in Denver. Oh, deal. I'm I'm in. Denver's beautiful. That's Never right. been there. It's okay. I've flown over it a few times. That's all right. It's you know, some 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 of the greatest things in my life have happened here, some of the worst things in my life have happened here. Um but uh but yeah yeah denver's pretty good um yeah i and you know i say the i say the you know i say my statement about people in recovery not being angels i say that with the greatest affection um but i also come to it this isn't like long-standing wisdom that i've gleaned over the ages no 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 i had my own moment of you know, pseudo feeling like I was betrayed just this last week when I had somebody come into my Twitch stream mid relapse and start talking to me about it. And I felt really, really awful about it. Cause one, I've only been doing this Twitch stream for about a year and we only have a, uh, it's a pretty small community. And this is the first time that somebody had relapsed while they were a part of the community. And I was, I, I personally felt like I had let people down specifically that it was that part of it was my fault, which is ridiculous. Um, I am, you know, I'm, I'm a face of a very small thing that is an adjunct to what should be like six or seven different things that you should be doing to try to keep your sobriety. And I am on the very minor end of that. So for me to feel that kind of way about it, absolutely ridiculous but i still felt that way in the moment and then the next day so i totally understand why you would feel the way you felt uh when you know calling down your you know your phone tree and people you know not picking up the way that you you were hoping that they might and i i jump in here and think that part of that that sounds like i've i've felt that way before too not necessarily about uh sobriety stuff but the the inability that you feel like to help someone or when you try to help someone and it doesn't work the way you want it to or it just plain doesn't work and part of that i mean i'll be honest i think it's a little bit of ego going on there too like you you know you think that hey i'm doing these things now and i can you know i can help all these people and then when it doesn't work out that way it's a blow you know it's a blow to the ego and sure. that that you know that's happened to me before and yeah, you're not uh, wrong. Yeah. Oh, there's the first moment of silence. That was awkward. 
I'll, I'll, I'll blabble. I'll babble to keep it to go on. I, I, think I, would, I want to touch on something that Will said too. You know, uh, we in all four of my treatments, it was the same every time. After about twenty some days into it, every time somebody would come in, all of a sudden they're going to change the world. They're going to be this completely different person. You're going to start a sober living house. You're going to become a sponsor. Um, you know, you're going to do all these miraculous things. But I truly believe, and and yeah, you're you are right also, Will, that this this is, you know, uh Bill W says it well where it's the use is just a symptom of something deeper. Mm-hmm. So all this shit we're, we're we're not bad people. We've done bad things, but our thinking is all kinds of fucked. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I I came up with so many reasons to borrow money, you know, to pay my taxes, to, you know, I need gas for this, you know. So to to know and to assume is an error on my part that this person is being genuine and not seeking attention or, you know, it could be anything, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so I, I'm glad we had this, this conversation because, you know, John's right. It, there was ego involved, you know, um, you know, things were starting to roll downhill and I was picking up some steam, you know, getting people directed to different places. And then this one, it just kind of fell, fell flat on its face. Then that, that can't happen because I, I'm only eight months into this thing and that can be dangerous for me. Uh, you know, when I'm taking on other people's burdens, when I got my own, that I still have not cleaned up my side of the street yet, I guess. Well, I think that, so, you know, uh, a big, um, a big part of, I think successful recovery programs is the idea of being of service to other people. Right. I, I think that's something that's talked about in AA and in, and in secular AA as well. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that when we start to work on, uh, on our service to other people, we start to take that service to them and we attach it to our senses of self in recovery. We get to this place where we're like, well, right now, I'm feeling amazing because I'm in recovery and I'm helping other people and I want other people to feel that too. And then when we get to a place where somebody lets us down, somebody quote unquote, lets us down in that vein, we start to go, I don't understand. This is working for me. Why isn't it working for you? And then there can be this gaze turned internally that says, wait, is this working for me? You start to question it because other people that you're hoping will adopt it aren't adopting it the way that you think that they should. So it's really important that we keep in mind that the service that we do for others is a is a really, really important part of our recovery, but it has to uh, it has to be an, an end in and of itself for our recovery. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I'm following you. Uh, it, it it it's just it's i don't i don't want to make this all all about me because it's it wasn't it's just share your stories it, man it it's 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 expectations and and there was a there's a time i heard somebody sharing a story uh it was a sponsor and he was talking about uh you know i i've had a thousand sponsors and i haven't failed one of them and it was kind of a thousand people and they had never relapsed hotel and he's like no he's like I've had a thousand sponsees and I haven't drank over one of them. So his point was that he didn't let, let their shit or mistakes affect his sake. And I think that's a, that's a, a good point that we can drive home on this thing. 
yeah, it's, uh, I, 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 I kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. I can get behind that. <clears throat> John, yeah. have you worked the, the sponsor sponsor program? Have you, have you done that? Yeah. So I, I do have a sponsor. It uh, took me a while to uh, choose one. I was being very picky. I've got uh kind of a, I don't know, got a stranger danger kind of deal, but um, yeah, I finally, uh, found a found a guy that i could get along with at the meetings and um turns out he's a he's a house husband or whatever they want to call them yeah you know, whatever you call it where they don't have any kids but uh you know huh. see I, I i used to call myself a trophy husband and then uh <laughs> the more kids we had it just made more sense to be the you know stay-at-home dad and or whatever so and i used to call but myself yeah. the participation trophy husband because you could anybody can get a, a pudgy bearded white guy i mean that's a, you, <laughs> you get one of those for just entering the building i think <laughs> yeah for, uh, i was i mean i've lost quite a bit of weight after getting sober i was starting to get there but uh i'm, I'm working on becoming the you know the trophy husband again nice. Um, nice yeah but yeah i have a sponsor and uh we haven't been together that long but um we started doing the the steps and I think I've already, in my opinion, I've already completed one through three, but, you know, got to go by the book. So we're doing it by the book, which means we're literally reading the book together. And with the kids and everything, I think we got through like one chapter in the book, in the book. So it's going to be a while, but I had, before I even had a sponsor, I started working on step four, which is the whole resentment thing and Mm -hmm. uh, the self inventory. So, I mean, it's been, it's been good. I I think I'm in a kind of a different um, spot. I think I'm probably one of the easiest sponsees he's ever had because the only time I've ever texted him was to be like, what time were we supposed to meet up again? And like, I've never like had to call him and been like, you know, oh, I'm going through something or I need a drink. And it's pretty, he texts me more than I text him. And it's, you know, it's kind of more of like a, just a friendship where we just have to read the book together every now and then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's nice to know that if he's there or if I need him, he's there. But at this point in my sobriety, uh, I just, I don't feel like that it's ever going to come to that because I would probably do something about it myself beforehand, like, you know, changing uh, either, you know, changing my location or changing my frame of mind if I ever did have a feeling craving coming on or anything like that, just mm-hmm. the accountability would be enough for me. If I just texted my wife or texted him and be like, Hey, I'm feeling a certain way. If I let them know that the way I am, cause I'm, I'm still bad about people pleasing. So if I tell somebody that I feel like I'm going to drink and then I go out and do it, then I'll know that they know. And that would be the worst thing for me to let someone else down. And because I was, my my family and my wife were under the impression that I had been sober for a lot longer than I was because I only drank by myself and, you know, in hiding because of all the issues alcohol had made before. So there was no accountability, accountability at all. Mm-hmm. So now that, you know, if that was a thing, it's good. It's like a long story short, it'd be nice. It's good to have a sponsor where you can message them if you need them, I mm-hmm. guess. And if you're strong enough to, to to send out that text or make that call, I mean, it, it will work. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, earlier you had, uh, Scott, you had a, you had a, you said something about why is it so hard to, to say I need help or ask for help. 
And we, I just had a, I just had an episode, not this last week or the week before, um, literally about that. Uh, I don't remember if it was on the Twitch stream or the podcast. Man, I do a lot of talking in a microphone. Um, I just listened to it today. It was on the did? podcast. Okay. You you okay. mentioned something about Wizards of the Coast sending a box of Magic cards oh, yeah, to somebody. Yeah, yeah. yeah the was, Pinkertons. Yeah. Did you guys yes, know the, the Pinkertons. Pinkertons are still a fucking thing? That is the weirdest shit on earth to me. Sorry, pardon me. I don't know if I could swear on here. I should have asked. I should have asked. I don't know. But seriously, like I, like the only time I'd ever heard of the Pinkertons before that was in like Deadwood the series from like the early 2000s and how they were, you know, stone cold bastards and then the whole, you know, union busting things. Anyways, divergence. Um, the Those three little words, I need help uh, or uh, please help me. Like I, they're so incredibly difficult for an addict to get to a place where, where they're willing to say that. And I think that breaking down that barrier is such a huge part of what makes the sponsor sponsor part of uh any kind of a 12 step aa secular a whatever i think that's such an important part of it um i think that that just having a, any kind of a comfort level with somebody that you know that you can say that to and get some kind of response even if that response is just keeping you on the phone to talk while you get through a craving uh, that that's that's some that's some powerful shit right there, I think. Yeah, I mean they they say in treatment that it's about fifteen minutes that craving hits if you can find something to do, uh, make a phone call or whatever it is. Uh, right around fifteen minutes, uh, you're you're heading in the right direction, you know. Yeah. So the sponsor thing is is great, and I know so many people that have had great sponsors and they become like family, you know. Um, you know, I talked about being uh, fear and rejection. When I first started going to AA meetings in person, you know, I got shot down twice by the first two dudes that I really felt connected to with their sharing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, the, the way they shared, I felt, you know, connection there. And I got shot down twice. And then that kind of sent me away that it's not their fault. And that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying that, you know, that just made it a little bit harder. You know what I mean? To, so to I, go to the I, next. I think that framing right there, the, the, I got shot down framing. I mean, the first couple of times that you go to a meeting, I, I can't think of too many times in my life personally that were as difficult as the first meeting that I went to. Like I got diagnosed with chronic substance abuse disorder. I was terrified. My wife was going to leave me. Um, I was, you know, dealing with suicidal ideation, uh, to the point where I had a plan and the only thing that stopped me was the fact that I knew it would be my 11 year old son that would have found my body. Um, and I want I had, I had a mentor figure of mine from my early twenties who had this kind of thing happen to him. And he did end up going through with his plan and it was his kid that found him. And I can't imagine that that kid is going to grow up to have, you know, any kind of reasonable view of uh of his father and that just absolutely terrifies me so um uh oh hello family sorry my family no 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 i'm i'm recording for something that's not about me <laughs> i love you and here i thought it was going to be me that had the kids coming in so, now every yeah. night about this time uh my youngest comes in tries to steal my bubble water and uh my wife comes in to laugh at it while it happens that's awesome Sounds about right. My wife, he likes to hand me the the three month old when I'm in here doing my meetings or my counseling group. So all of a sudden I just have a, a baby appears out of nowhere and then everyone in the meeting is paying attention to the baby. And yeah, you know, <laughs> yep. 
just trying Five. to bear my soul to you, you guys. Don't look at the baby. <laughs> Cover her up. Well, I think that was a great moment. So anybody watching on YouTube, I, I think that was a great moment. That's that's cool. Those moments wouldn't happen if if things were if the course wasn't corrected. You know what I mean? So it's nope. exactly really, really appreciate that. But I was vibing real hard on what uh, Will was saying. That's like, my almost exact experience with the first AA meeting um, about. Yeah, it was. Just, I was in the same boat, worried about my wife leaving and losing the kids, and you know, I I didn't know what to do. And uh, same with what you said, Scott. As far as I, I think that's one of the reasons it took me so long to pick a sponsor was because I didn't want to ask someone and then be told no. <laughs> so I waited longer. I mean, ultimately it worked out, but I waited longer than I probably should have or needed to. And and then what eventually, because in the meeting, they're supposed to read off, like, if you're willing to be a sponsor, raise your hand. But half the people that shared the meeting just skip half the text on that piece of paper for whatever reason. And um, yeah, they, they miss all kinds of stuff. Like, I'm the guy that hands out coins on our Monday night meeting now. And half the time, I have to remind them to read that part on the paper because they'll just hmm. bre- breeze right by it. I'm like, no, up here, like, read that part. That's so a, that's that's such a huge part of it, man. Who is willing to be a sponsor so you know who you can approach? Exactly. Yes, that's that's a big. Uh, I I mean, in my opinion, you know, if I ran AA, uh, you know, that's <laughs> every meeting should have to do that. And don't get me started on payment processors for AA Zoom groups and the whole Seventh Tradition thing. I, I, I think it's some unwritten rule where every single AA Zoom group has to have a different payment processor to collect their Seventh Tradition stuff. It's, it's, it's so annoying. Like you go to one group and they're using Google pay and the other groups using like Venmo and then cash app. And it's just like, pick one, just pick one. I'm not going to have all these different things on my phone, but yeah, that's my soapbox. So if I, if I become president of AA and rule everything, then I'm going to, yeah. Just need a new currency, sober cash. There you go. Yeah. There it is. Let's make it. Anybody know anything about crypto? I know uh, not to do it. (laughs) <laughs> right <laughs> well we all have twitters so we're basically elon musk's best friends so maybe we can ask him to make a you know a sober coin you know i keep thinking that like blasting him with hey i would really like to not see alcohol ads on your shit would be really nice <laughs> yeah. any chance that you could also make a bitcoin specifically for for addicts that'd be uh that'd be great it'd be nice to pay for uh for for sobriety related stuff that way that'd be okay <laughs> It would be awesome to have somebody of that caliber to get on board with uh, and do something for the uh, recovery community in general. You can call them sobriety chips and really piss off some people. That would be funny. Uh, oh, there, there's a fascinating amount of celebrity that are out and out in recovery. Um, I used to do this little segment uh, like every Friday night. I only did it for like a month and a half where I would like go try to find somebody in recovery that was uh, an actor or comedian or something like that and then spotlight them and just you know, like have them describe in their own words um you know what their experiences were so you know um robin williams dax shepherd uh just just a just a bevy of different individuals that that come from all different backgrounds that um you know I, it was fascinating to hear it i it was especially early on i i mean and this is kind of what what groups are supposed to do i think is to make you feel like you're not doing it alone that there are other people that understand um i talk about the threads of addiction 
being woven between all of us that are very, very similar. Like, you know, Scott and John, I can bet you that if we sat down and talked about the ramp up of our drinking to what happened afterwards to how we're doing now, that there's going to be some common threads and there's going to be some details. There's going to be some severities that are different. Um, But for the most part, I think that knowing that all of us have experiences that are vastly similar is, is so like oddly gratifying and Mm -hmm. in some ways freeing. I remember sitting down with the very first friend of mine who called me to ask me for some advice because they had fallen down a K hole, uh, uh, sorry, ketamine. Uh, and he's talking and he's bearing his soul and I'm just kind of smiling peacefully. He's like, why are you fucking smiling right now? I was like, cause your story sounds 90% like mine, man. Like, I like here's the, here's, here's my story. And I laid it out for him. And by the end of it, he just like the look of relief on his face was almost total. Uh, and he was like, okay, so you've been doing this for a little while. If you've been doing it for a little while, there's hope that I can do it for a little while. I was like, yep. And that's, that's, that's what the connection is, man. That's, that's what the connection to other, to other addicts in this kind of, you know, freeing manner is all about. Right. Absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I, I would be safe to bet that there are many times like, who does this? Who did, who wake up in the morning? Who does what I just did? You know, what kind of fucking idiot am I? I cannot <laughs> believe I did that. You know, I am so stupid. I am the dumbest person on the planet for making this decision. And then you start to realize you're, you know, you're not an anomaly. It's, it's the fucking disease itself that's manipulated you and turning you into something. But Going into treatment and hearing those stories, man, it was, it was, it was free. It was like, oh, thank God I am, you know, because you think you're the only one, you're the only one that this is, you know, is this bad, you know, but you never say it out loud. Yep. It's just up in here, you know, and I, I just hearing that is absolutely, absolutely free. Yeah. John, you got big, the book out, man. I was going to say, you're going to go big book on us, brother. Yeah. I'm going to thumb it real passage? quick. I was looking for one particular, uh, yeah, so what you were talking about, this is in the Dr. Bob story. That's like the first thing I uh, I felt and I read in the big book that really resonated with me. And that's how I felt as I was leaving my first meeting was what you were talking about, the similarities. Because um, uh, I started listening to a couple of podcasts before because it was a few days out from when I essentially came out of the closet to my wife. So I stepped five to my wife for people that don't know. And I didn't even know what step five was, but basically you, you know, admit to God yourself and another human being, the exact nature of your wrongs is what step five says. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what that was, but I was two weeks sober, but not doing anything about it. All I was doing was just not drinking and that wasn't working for me anymore. And I was just miserable the whole day. And finally, I just, I was either going to go get shit faced or I was going to tell my wife why I was so miserable and upset and everything so i just you know just vomited all the shit that i've done over the last basically our entire marriage uh the 10 years we'd been married and just came clean about everything um so i was in a bad way but when i left that meeting i felt exactly the same way you were talking about where like you know these people get me and if i had paid attention to the differences it would have been a lot different because I don't have a lot of the experiences that other people have had as far as like jail or anything yeah. like that. 
So it would have been very easy for me to be like, oh, well, I'm not that bad. I must not be an alcoholic or, you know, <laughs> and talk my way out of it. And before I think I had used things like that to justify my drinking. Cause like, oh, I'm still functional. You know, the kids are all, you know, bathed and in bed and you know the house is relatively clean and all this stuff. Like I was still getting things done. I just, my relationship with my wife was just horrible because mm-hmm. I would just take all my shit out on her. So, but yeah, as I was leaving that and then going to the re- reason I'm holding the book, I was trying to find this page, but <laughs> when he's talking about um, Dr. Bob and he said, um, you know, a far more importance was the fact that he was the first living human with whom I had ever talked, who knew what he was talking about in regards to alcoholism from an act from actual experience. In other words, he talked my language. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's, yeah, that was the first thing I ever highlighted in this book. And it stuck with me for a long time. The first meeting I ever chaired, I read that passage along with a bunch of other references in the book about people relating to other people. Mm-hmm. And that's probably one of the biggest tools in my, you know, my, in my program, my sobriety is things like this, getting on Zoom calls or going to in-person meetings Or now that I have the Twitter thing going on, just getting on and talking to other like-minded individuals that have the same goal. And, you know, when you boil all of it down, that goal is to not drink or not use or whatever, you know, pick your, pick your poison or whatever the PC term is for it now, drug of choice or substance of a problem, or I don't know, there's too many terms for it, but yeah, just don't do the thing. And, you know, we're all trying to not do the thing together. So that's a big thing for me is the, just the community. Yeah, dude. I remember walking into my first AA meetings and I was such a judgmental prick. <laughs> I mean, it was, I live in this small town. I graduated with 69 people in my, in my high school nice. class. And I walk into there. there. He fucking went there. <laughs> That's fucking great. Fucking DJ. <laughs> 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 I walked in and there's a bunch of, you know, what I would call hillbillies. And I can say that because my dad's a hillbilly. He's a farmer. You know, he's always dirty and covered in grease and dirt or whatever. But these dudes walked in. They did. They look, doesn't look like they did anything with their hair in 40 years. You know, they're missing teeth. They're, you know, they're laughing about all this stupid shit. And I'm like, I am not like these guys. And I focused on the difference. And the, the important thing to send to somebody that is listening to this, that is thinking about recovery or in really early recovery every time you say i'm not that bad yet you got to keep in mind that yet means it's coming it it, it will come because as many times as i heard that in a meeting you know i didn't believe it i'm not that bad i'm not going to be that bad that's not going to be me well you know what when i walked in that meeting and i judged those people i now i i'm living back home now i have barely any money in the checking account i have four owis i'm not going to have a license for seven years all those things that i wasn't like happened because i didn't i couldn't quit i couldn't find that that way and so if you're listening, you know, to this, it, you, it is very important to walk into these doors of any, whatever meeting that you go to, whatever variety, whatever flavor that you decide to go to is to find the similarities and not focus on the differences because you will paint yourself into a corner real quick. Just my two cents. I think there's a death of ego that needs to happen when you finally come to a place where you understand you're an addict. And I think that, oftentimes i think the ego can be a good thing but i think that especially for people in early recovery it often acts in an effort to try to uh preserve the sense of self that we've always had like 
if you told me in my early 20s I was going to be an alcoholic, I would have been puzzled and not understood what the fuck you were talking about. If you told me in my 30s, I would have said probably and then rationalized it away. Now in my 40s, I know deep to my core that I am an alcoholic in recovery. Like there is no ego trying to save me from myself in this instance. And I think that that is where most of that judgmentalism comes from. I think that you walk in that door and you're like, well, I'm not like these people. Well, sweetie, I hate to tell you. <laughs> you probably are closer to, to, to being where they are at the same point in their life uh, as you are now, um, then you realize, and, and that's, that's a rough realization. I mean, there's so many fucking rough things that happen to you the first couple of months when you, when, when you're newly sober, um, there's so many things about your, uh, idea of yourself that get absolutely torn to shreds because if you're doing the work that you have to do, to be sober, you are taking a firm and full accounting of the things you did while you were on your substance. And that's hard, man. That's hard. Yeah. I, I, I can have an exact uh, example of that. My daughter, uh, it was, uh, you know, I had started going to AA and, but I was still feeling, feeling pretty shitty about myself. Um, and my daughter was doing something and I found myself kind of like lecturing her and the, the phrases I was using was like self-control and <laughs> moderation. And I was literally like having these words come out of my mouth. And then I just like, in my head, I'm like, who am I to say this? Like, I couldn't do that with, you know, with alcohol. So like, who am I to be telling this five-year-old how she should, you know, have some self-control and all this, because it was still, I hadn't really understood, grasped the full nature of it and realizing that, you know, the whole powerless over alcohol bit. I mean, I already knew I was, but I hadn't really connected the dots, but still I was trying to lecture my five-year-old on how, like, you know, I, I don't even remember what it was. I think like you can't have an entire bag of candy for no good reason, and, you know, it's moderation and like it's bad for you. You shouldn't. Yeah, that's what it, it's bad for you. And it can, you know, make you sick and uh, unhealthy. And all the while for the first 10 years, you know, in five years before she was even born, I was drinking almost every day. And yeah, yeah so it you was can't like, eat that bag of candy. Meanwhile, you're through your second fifth of uh, Tito's yeah, in a night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. Yeah, I was even. Yeah, even while drinking, I was having conversations like that with her. Like I would have uh, like you know, drank a whole six pack of IPAs in like two hours. And I'll be like, you can't eat that candy. That's bad for you or things like that. And yeah, there's just, there was no uh, self-awareness at the time. And then once I, once I got sober, I became hyper self-aware and it was almost like imposter syndrome or something like, you know, who am I to be parenting this child and giving them life <laughs> advice when I couldn't even get my own shit together. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like the things that you can catch yourself once you get to a certain point in recovery, you know, the things that you you said, and they make so much sense now, but you just couldn't, you couldn't see it. And, yeah. and, you know, I mean, I, I went to, and I know Will probably hasn't heard this part, but I went to the lengths of creating uh, 
something wrong with my brain. I, there's no word for it because I don't know what I was going for. No, I watched but, your story. I watched oh, your did, story. Dude. You saw yep. that, yeah. Yeah, I watched. So, I watched your story. Um, so, I, I unfortunately I wasn't able to see any. Like John doesn't have anything loaded up on YouTube, and I have limited time and access. Well, not access, but limited time to check out podcasts and stuff. But I had enough time while I was doing some work stuff around the house that I was able to throw your, uh, your thing up on uh, on YouTube. So yeah, no, I, I'm, 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 I, you know, privy. Yeah, I'm privy, man. Uh, that, that was a that was a it's a hard story to listen to. It's it's not easy to listen to, but it's worthwhile to listen to. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I I, I try to I, when my kids, you know, I, I'm I'm parenting from a distance. You know what I mean? It's it's I, I see them for the first time in over a year uh, yesterday. But you know, there's some things that happen in school. My kids got a couple of pink slips. You know what I mean? And the dad in me is like, "What in the? Why did you punch this kid?" Why did you get a pink slip? Why did you do this? And, you know, and then it's like, all right, take a step back here, dude. Take a step back here. You created a fake cat that you tripped on. You know, <laughs> you you make poor decisions that doesn't, you know, because he said to me, he said, yeah, I, I'm just a bad kid. And I was like, whoa, dude, you are not a bad kid. You made a bad choice. And now we just move on from it. And it's, it's, it's helping me grow as a parent. I hope, I hope it's helping me grow as a parent. It's got to, right? Yeah. I mean, that sounds like an appropriate way to handle that kind of thing. I would think, you know, I have a 14 and a nine year old and from one dad to another, that's, that's about right. Like, you know, your kid gets in trouble. They tell you I'm a bad kid. You say, you're not a bad kid. You just made a bad decision and we need to find a way not to make those bad decisions in the future. Yeah. Congratulations on getting to see your kiddos, bud. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, my kind of chain of thought that goes uh, anytime I get a craving usually ends up with me thinking about what happens to me if I ever lose access to my children, and uh, it's it's not a pretty picture. Yeah, playing the tape forward, the same thing. That's I, I I shared this I think on Scott's podcast, and I've said it on mine before too. Uh, you know, everybody says that you're not supposed to get sober for other people or it has to be for you for it to stick and all that. And I said before, I disagree with that in part because, um, yeah, I, I did not take myself to AA because I wanted to go to AA. I went to AA for my family and to try to keep my family together. So I, I got sober for my wife and kids and now I'm staying sober for myself because once once I was there and once I started educating myself uh, on the you know on alcoholism and on my con you know my condition or whatever you want to call it um that's when i decided like this is something i need to do for me too and you know the benefits far outweigh anything else i mean being able to actually go to the gym and work out instead of go to the gym and like sneak drinks in the locker room or <laughs> be too hungover to work out so i'll just so I'll sit in the hot tub for two hours while my kids are at the daycare at the gym just so i don't have to do parenting stuff anymore so yeah, um, that's we're in the same boat there, playing the tape forward, and that's the only end result I see if I go back out is losing my wife and kids, and that is um, that's a no go for me. That's yeah. uh, that that would that would not end well. Well, it's really great to. I mean, it's really great to hear you guys. You know, um, I'm so happy that you guys found the way to to keep things you know where they're at right now. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to harp on it, Will, but that that moment when your son came in, dude, it's just almost makes a dude want to cry you know it's, no. it's so great to see that 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 happening you know what i mean and uh 
that's I mean that's where I'm that's what I'm working for again and, and it it could happen no expectations right but uh, well you got to believe no, that it can I can only do everything that I can do today to make that happen and yeah. then yep. the the fate is in somebody else's hands so well let's uh let's uh I I need to go check on my great grandmother and mm-hmm. I'm doing the recording so uh let's just go around final thoughts uh and plug your stuff again just in case somebody uh, decides to listen to this in two different parts and they forget who we were by the end of it. So, uh, John, what you got? I'm John and, uh, my daughter just came in. So how about will takes it? Okay. All right. right, I can do that. Um, final thoughts. I think that, I think that we need as people in recovery be need to be open to helping other people in recovery. I think that's a huge cornerstone of what reinforces our good decision to stay in recovery. Um, I also think that we need to have realistic boundaries around what we're willing to do and an understanding that other people have boundaries around what they're willing to do. So while it's okay for us to ask, it's never uh, upon somebody else that we've asked it's never their responsibility to automatically say yes. They can say no, and we have to respect that no. And it does not diminish what we're doing, and it does not re- diminish their recovery either. We will try to find help for the people that we can help. And for those that we can't, um, you know, we will try to you know, uh, offer what comfort we can and keep our garden tended the way that we know how to tend our gardens um i'm will i'm the host of save versus poison you can find us on twitch at twitch.tv backslash svp podcast on twitter at vs underscore save on facebook the save versus poison podcast and on everywhere that you can find podcasts google apple all that shizzle uh save versus poison podcast yep cheers right on john over you bud yeah. All right. I'm John Skillman, and this is Alice. That's Alice, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm the host of the Sober Dad podcast. Uh, on all the platforms, you can go over to my uh, landing page, which is uh, Sober Dad Podcast at Buzzsprout.com. Uh, you can send me an email at soberdadpodcast at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter at soberdadpod, and yeah this was a great conversation loved having it and look forward to doing more with you guys and i gotta get uh i gotta get will's um battle net info and his uh steam uh steam info you too scott and um yeah you got anything you want to say no (laughs) all right back to you scott all right awesome yeah man it'd be sweet to game uh game with some uh some other fellow recovery nerds um yeah, I, I think uh, I think Will said it best, so I don't need to rehash anything. I think he laid it out pretty nice. I think that uh, you guys and us being willing to recover out loud, uh, that's doing everything that we can to help the next person in, in line and having people on to share their stories. I, I think that's really important. So um, I can't wait to listen to more of your stuff, Will. Um it's, it's going to be fun to, to be in touch. And uh, I really thank you guys for allowing me to be here as well. 
the Sober Heathen. Um, if uh, if any of you, uh, you can search Sober Heathen on any social media and find me, uh, Scott at SoberHeathen.com, email. Um, if anybody listens to my podcast and you'd like information for Will or John's podcast, I will make sure to get it to you um, and, and help them promote their their stuff as well. So uh, this is awesome. Uh, great conversation, dudes. And if you're all willing to do it again, we'll have to get together and and, and, and do it again and, and keep uh, keep spreading the good word. Big the, the good word of the blue book. We're going to go door to door in Colorado. Mormon style. Mormon style. All, all right, right gentlemen. Some segues. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, give me that number to that AA thing, and I'll uh, I'll do a podcast on it, and I'll call them up. See yeah, I'll, I'll call shoot it over up. to you with my email. Yeah, give me your social security number, too. I'll get you signed up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all I right, guys. forgot it. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, have a great night, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Bye. Take care, fellas. See you, guys.